morning. It's good to be back with you guys here in Tiffin. Um, happy Father's Day. All right. We got, you guys are awake, maybe. That's still up for the debate. Uh, it's good. I love, for me, I love being a dad. I got, uh, I got two kids, one, a one-year-old little boy, a four-year-old little girl, and my daughter's in a fun little stage right now. Um, she's uh, playing t-ball for the first time, and, and I love playing sports growing up, and uh, but so I'm loving like kind of being able to hang out with her, try to throw a ball around. She's not really that good at it, um, but we're we're trying. And but t-ball, you guys know how t-ball goes. Like uh, it's it's just it's really entertaining, um, and like there's not a lot of skills involved here yet. Um, and let me explain what I mean, like. They hit the ball and it's like, yeah, everybody's cheering because it went like a few feet. Or then you got like the one kid that like swings and somehow he swings and it goes backwards. And you're just like, it was on a tee. How is it going backwards? But then all the kids are not in the outfield because nobody can hit it that far. And, and all the kids are in the infield and then they're just swarm to the ball and they're like fighting over it and it's great it's like hey I'm glad I'm not the coach hey keep going yeah and then everybody's like throw it to first and you're just like this is a terrible idea these you just have a mob going for this ball and now they're throwing it to first but they can't throw to first and so it's like who which kid's gonna get hit and I'm just like make sure it's not my kid because then I got to deal with the crying um but like, my daughter just plays in the sand. It's like she doesn't even know she's playing baseball. Um, and she can somewhat hit a few feet, and then she runs the first. And, and, but think about this. T-ball, there's no outs. What is this? It's like baseball. Like, it's baseball, but it's not baseball. They, they get it. Everybody gets to hit. And everybody gets to run around the bases. And then everybody gets to score. There's no there's really no point besides the entertainment. Um, so it's like a hopeless version of baseball, right? Um, but let's imagine something a little bit more serious than a, a hopeless version of baseball, t-ball. Um, let's imagine for you and I that we've been taken in captivity by some rogue dictator and we've been ripped away from our family and we don't know whether our family is alive or dead, whether our kids are alive or dead. And in captivity, we see no possible means of, of escape. We, have, we see no way of being rescued. And to make matters worse, everything that we're going through is because of our decisions. The reason we're in captivity is because of us and the decisions that we made. And so everything that's happening to us, we could say it's our fault. And that would probably feel a little hopeless, right? It'd probably feel like you're walking in a desert and you have no water. It would probably feel like you're a little dead inside because you have no motivation to continue to move forward. Because you see no hope. 
See, that's exactly where the nation of Israel is, where we're at in Ezekiel. Just like Zach and AJ, last few weeks, if you know, Israel has been taken into captivity by the nation of Babylon. And they're there because of their own decisions, because of, uh, because of their sin. And then they get the message of Ezekiel 36 and Ezekiel 37, this message of hope where God is promising to restore the nation of Israel. Look at what it says in verse 24, chapter 36. It says, For I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will also sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean and I will cleanse you from all your impurities and all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. That's amazing promise that God is giving to the nation of Israel. Think about what it's saying here. It's saying not only will God restore Israel as a nation back into the land, God will restore them to the land that he's promised them. But God is also promising them here in chapter 36 that he will restore them to the Lord. He's saying, hey, okay, I'm going to take you from all the places you are, not just Babylon, but all the countries that you're going to be in. Because eventually they will be out of Babylon, but then they'll go from one nation after, to another. They'll be always under another nation's rule. And God's promising he's going to fully restore them back into the land that God has promised them. But then he's going to restore them to the Lord, and he has to first deal with their sin. He has to cleanse them from all their unrighteousness. They have to be clean because it's been their sin that has put them into captivity. And he says, when I do that, when I cleanse Israel, I will restore them. I will give them a new heart. And when he does that, he's going to give Israel his spirit. Who will give them not a heart of stone, but a heart of flesh. And they'll be made new. It's an amazing promise. I think if you're sitting there and you're in captivity and you have you see no way of escaping, and then you're told, hey, you know what God's gonna do? I'm gonna restore you. That would be bring some hope to their situation. And so what happens next in Ezekiel 37 is Ezekiel is given a vision from God. One that explaining how he's going to restore Israel and what ways he's going to restore them. He's, he's going to explain where they're at and how he's going to restore them. So look at verse 1. It says, The hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out by his Spirit. And set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. He led me all around them. And there, there were a great many of them on the surface of the valley. And they were very dry. Think about it. It's a kind of a weird scene. Eerie scene. Ezekiel is in this vision. And he sees in this valley just bones scattered throughout. 
skeletons. Eerie, as he's walking around, walking over them, it looks, it feels like a futuristic, scary movie. And then God asks him a question in verse 3. And it says this, Then he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? I replied, Lord God, only you know. See, the obvious answer would be to that question is, no. <laughs> can these bones live? Yeah, pretty confident they can't. But Ezekiel doesn't question God. He doesn't question if he can. He just goes, okay, God, I know you are a God that has no impossibilities. I know you're all-powerful, all-knowing. To that question, hey, God, only you know the answer to that question. So he takes the ball and he passes it and puts the ball in God's court. And God passes it right back to Ezekiel. Verse 4, he said to me, prophesy concerning these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord God says to the, these bones. I will cause breath to enter you, and you will live. And I will put tendons on you and make flesh grow on you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you so that you come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I had been commanded. While I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together. Bone to bone. And as I looked, tendons appeared on them. Flesh grew. Skin covered them. But there was no breath in them. Think about what's happening. Kind of a weird scene, if you can picture it. But Ezekiel's told to go preach to bones. Like, like imagine... Let's just say, hey, we just stopped right here, and we said, hey, everybody go get in your car. Let's go drive to the closest cemetery, and then we're going to get out of the cemetery, and all of us are just going to go walk around the cemetery, and then we're just going to preach to the tombstones. That would be pretty weird. That would be pretty strange. There's good reasons why we aren't doing that. But Ezekiel told, hey, I want you to preach to the bones. These lifeless bones. It's not like Ezekiel hasn't done some strange things, right? Like, think about it. He's went to war with a brick, if you remember that. He's dug a, house, dug a hole in the house. He, he's baked bread. This is the one that, uh, I don't, it makes me feel gross. Baked bread. Fake bread over human feces. It's nasty. So he's not like, uh, he's accustomed to the weird, the strange, but this is maybe the feces thing. That, that's pretty strange. But he, he's told to go preach to these bones and then picture the scene. He's walking and he's preaching to these bones. 
And then there, all of a sudden, there's a, there's a noise, enough of a noise that it's mentioned here in 37, chapter 37, that there was a rattling of the bones. That there's these bones just lying all around, and they just start shaking and moving closer together. And all of a sudden, this toe bone pops into the toe bone, the knee cap fastens into place. I don't know how all that works. Um, the elbow, the sh- elbow, that's shoulder. Shoulder pops in. It's, just, it, it's all happening. And then it, it gets even stranger. Tendons and veins start to form. And then on top of that, skin starts to grow. And now it's not skeletons laying around. It's corpses. There's no breath in them. There's no life in them. So what's happening? This is where God is promising to restore Israel. This is how he's going to restore. He's promising the message of hope. I'm going to restore Israel as a nation. See, I'm going to take all the bones, the pieces, and I'm going to put them back together. Think about this. Like eventually, this prophecy is partly fulfilled because they're they they get out of Babylon. They get out of captivity. But ever since 586 BC, where the nation of Israel is destroyed by the Babylonians, Israel for the next 2,500 years, they are never a nation again. For 2,500 years, they're always being dominated by some other foreign power. And and as a result, the Jewish people are are dispersed around the world. So how can a Jewish people have no homeland, no government, not even a common language for 2,500 years? How could a dispersed, oppressed, nearly massacred people be reestablished as a nation? Well, the answer is obvious. For us, looking at this prophecy, well, God is saying he's going to do it. In fact, just fun fact, 1911, in the Encyclopedia Britannica, it predicted with the Hebrew language that that would never re there would never, the Hebrew language would never come back. And, and also the nation with that, the nation of Israel, wouldn't come back. That was in 1911. And, and in 1948, and like many of us know in this room, in May 14, 1948, after World War II, the nation of Israel was announced as a nation again. They became a nation again. And we see today Israel, this Israel that we know of today, as part fulfillment of what we're reading about in Ezekiel 37, as part of the fulfillment. That God said he's going to bring all the bones and he's going to put them back together and he's going to restore them. And he has. The reason I say part of fulfillment is because in chapter 36 and 37, God's saying he's going to restore them back to the land. But what we know of Israel today is just a sliver. I, I brought a map. Um, 
it's just a sliver. Israel today is just right here. It's not very big. The rest of this shaded in area is what God originally promised to Israel that is their land. Israel's the only group of people in the whole world. Think about this. Only group of people in the whole world that God has said, here's the deed to your land. This is yours. But right now, Israel just has a sliver. And so 1948, we would say, is God is partly fulfilling again his promise to Israel in Ezekiel 37, but the rest is to come. But while God is, while we're waiting to see the rest to come, God is protecting Israel. Think about on May 14, 1948, Israel becomes a nation. The very next day, May 15th. Five Islamic nations surrounding Israel invade Israel the very next day. They, you know, they, they haven't been a nation for 2,500 years. They, they, don't, they don't really have the military day one uh, to go and fight off five nations invading them. In fact, they have to uh, smuggle in weapons just to be able to fight off these five nations, and they were able to. Was what is was impossible was done because God said He was going to restore them, and He has. Then in twenty fifteen, Iran swore to eliminate Israel. They actually said in twenty fifteen that it, by twenty five years there would be no Israel left. And as a result, Benjamin Netanyahu, the prime minister of Israel, went to the United Nations and gave this speech where he said this, In every generation, there were those who rose up to destroy our people. In antiquity, we faced destruction from the ancient empires of Babylon and Rome. In the Middle Ages, we faced inquisition and expulsion. And in modern times, we faced the pogroms and the Holocaust. Yet the Jewish people persevered. And now another regime has arisen, swearing to destroy Israel. That regime would be wise to consider this. I stand here today representing Israel, a country 67 years young, but the, net, the nation state of a peer, people nearly 4,000 years old. Yet the empires of Babylon and Rome are not represented in this hall of nations. Neither is the thousand year Reich. Those seemingly invincible empires are long gone. But Israel lives. The people of Israel live. How is that possible? Because God is a promise keeper. He said he was going to do it. And he has. And it's pretty cool to think that you're living right now in a time where God said he's going to restore Israel. And yeah, we, ha we don't see, it. it doesn't have the bigger picture yet, but he has restored them as a nation and he is protecting them as a nation. 
That's what, why Israel is so important. Because there's not going to be a group of people. There's not going to be a nation that's going to be able to go against God's plan. God is going to do what he's going to do. And he's going to restore them completely as a nation back to the land. But that's just the beginning part of the, this prophecy. The second part of this is the hope that God is promising to restore Israel spiritually. Look at verse 9. It says, he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man. Say to it, this is what the Lord God says. Breath, come from the four winds and breathe into these slain so that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me. The breath entered them and they came to life and stood on their feet, a vast army. I don't know if you can picture this. Again, he's prophesying. He's preaching to these now lifeless bodies just laying around, the corpses. And he's told by God to preach that breath would come into them. And a word from breath is just the spirit. And so he's preaching and, and life comes into them. And then it says that they're, they're standing on their feet and they're a vast army. And that's because what happens next, you got the battle of Gog and Magog in chapters 38 and 39. And then you have the millennial kingdom in chapters 40 through 48. And these are all these are now end time prophecies that Ezekiel is describing for us. What he's describing is Israel is going to have a spiritual awakening, the nation of Israel. A spiritual restoration, just like it says in Romans eleven twenty six, And in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion, and he will turn godlessness away from Jacob. What Ezekiel is predicting, what he's prophesying is going to happen, is that the nation of Israel, a national belief, will happen. Will, where the people of Israel will turn and trust and believe in Jesus to be their Savior. Today, we just see Israel as part of the fulfillment. Because today, 65% of Israelis, 65% of them are either not religious or they're self-proclaimed atheists. That's out of 7 million people, by the way. 65%. And what Ezekiel is prophesying is as a nation, they're going to turn. And so what we see today, as Israel, what we know of Israel, is that they are just bones. They're the, they're the corpses laying in there. They're waiting breath. And when we believe that will happen is in the in in times in the tribulation period, and we see that in Revelation chapter eleven. And many scholars would believe this is going to be the time where Israel will be restored spiritually. 
What happens in that, there's going to be two guys in chapter 11 where they start telling Israel about Jesus. And and those guys die, and then there's a a whole bunch right there with those two witnesses. And then after, after that, there's going to be an earthquake. And in Jerusalem, there will be 7,000 people that die as a result. And then in Revelation chapter 11, it says the survivors were terrified and they gave glory to God in heaven. And that's where we would say that there's going to be a turn to him. See, today in, in Israel, actually in 1948, there was... 23 believers, 23 people who said, hey, Jesus is the Lord, he's the Messiah, he's the Savior of the world. Today, there's nearly over 30,000 believers in Israel. And and if you looked at population in 1948 to today, the population has grown like crazy in Israel. And and part of that is the fulfillment of Ezekiel 36, 37, that God would take the the Jewish people that has been dispersed all around the world and he would bring them back to Israel to be their home. And he's doing that. Israel today, 7 million people. There's over 30,000 believers. And there has been an increase in the number of believers that we see in Israel today. It's kind of been a, it's a weird, strange story. And so what happens next in chapter 37 is Ezekiel, God just explains to Ezekiel what all this means. And then he kind of re-sums it all up. And he says this in verse 11. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Look how they say our bones are dried up and our hope has perished. We are cut off. They're hopeless. Therefore prophesy and say to them, this is what the Lord God says. I'm going to open your graves and bring you up from them, my people, and lead you into the land of Israel. There's hope. You will know that I am the Lord, my people, when I open your graves and bring you up from them. I will put my spirit in you and you will live and I will settle you in your own land and then you will know that I am the Lord. I have spoken and I will do it. This is the declaration of the Lord. I love that last little bit. This is my declaration to you. Hey, as you're sitting there and you feel you're in this valley and you're just bones scattered around, this is my promise, my declaration to you because I am the Lord. I am God. I'm going to do what I'm going to say I'm going to do. I'm going to bring you back and restore you as a nation, but then I'm not going to just stop there. I'm going to restore you back to the Lord. And I will do it. What we get to see is God is doing that. Has all of this been completed? Has this prophecy been completely fulfilled? No, but it's happening. And he will complete it just like he's saying he will. If he can bring a nation that's been dead for 2,500 years and reestablish them, 
And he can, all that map, he can give them that land, the rest of the land. That will be nothing. If he's going to do that, he can restore them spiritually back to himself. I don't know if you get it. This has all been about Israel. This is not about you and me. Some people would, they get in Ezekiel, and especially this chapter, and they start trying to make this all about us. It's not. It's about Israel. It's a prophecy about them, for them. It was a message of hope for them. But there is hope for us because we get to serve a God who keeps his promises, right? That he's a promise keeper and he's going to do what he says he's going to do. This is his declaration. And there's promises God has made to you and to me that he is going to keep. Because he said he's going to do it. I don't know if you came to church this morning feeling lifeless or hopeless. But we have a God who brings hope to the hopeless. I don't know if you feel, maybe you feel dead. We serve a God who can bring those who are spiritually dead back and make them alive. See, Israel is then told at the very end of the chapter about how they will be restored spiritually and through whom they will be restored spiritually. And through Jesus, they will be restored. How are we restored? Through him. Look what it says in verse 25. It says, they, they will live in the land and I gave, that I gave to my servant Jacob, where your ancestors lived, and they will live in it forever and with their children and grandchildren. And my servant David will be their prince forever. Who's that? That's the Messiah to come. That's Jesus. That's the King of kings, the Lord of lords. And what is he going to come do? In verse 26, I will make a covenant of peace with them, and it will be a permanent covenant with them. And I will establish and multiply them and will set, them, will set my sanctuary among them forever. My dwelling place will be with them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. When my sanctuary is among them forever, the nations will know that I, the Lord, sanctify Israel. Jesus has come. What, he, what they're telling, Ezekiel is telling the nation of Israel who's feeling hopeless is that there's hope because the Messiah is going to come and he's going to make a permanent covenant with you. That same permanent covenant you and I are invited into. It's a promise. It's the promise of when, if you turn from your ways, you repent from heading your direction and you would turn to Jesus, you can have new life in him. That when you turn to him, you will get a new heart. Like it's pro the promise in chapter 36. And when you give 
are given that new heart, you're given God's spirit who lives inside of you. And it will be a permanent covenant. Everlasting. And God will put his dwelling place, the spirit, in you. And you will be his people. And he will be your God. For many of us in this room, we've experienced the life change that Jesus offers. We've experienced the hope that Jesus gives to us. Let me remind you what Paul reminds us in Ephesians 2. He says this, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. We, we were dead in our sins, just like the bones in the valley We were dead. And in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient, we too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. And we were by nature children under wrath as the others were also. What was our condition before? We came to know Jesus. We were dead. Why? How? Because of our own desires. We've gone astray. We rejected God's plan. You remember in Genesis 1, 26, 27, God created you in the image of God. He created us. And the whole point of you and I having breath that we're actually living is that we would worship and serve God the creator of the world. And we've all failed at that. And as a result, the Bible tells us in Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death. The penalty for our sin, our unrighteousness from going astray is death. So we're all on a death sentence. And it seems like there's no hope, if you can think about it, it feels like there would be no hope in some ways. And that's what our world looks like. They're just walking around as corpses with no breath. Without the Spirit of God in them. And so they're hopeless. So no wonder the world turns to things that they turn to. But in verse 4, there's a message of hope for you and for me and for the world. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us made us alive with Christ even though we were dead in our trespasses. You are saved by grace. What's grace? Grace is something you and I do not deserve but God extends to us anyways. So what is he extending? He's extending a free gift to us. Like what Ezekiel is prophesying, the Messiah is going to come and Jesus did come. And he went and came to this world to go to the cross to offer himself as the substitute for our sins. And for some reason, when Jesus died on the cross, it gets to count for us as a covering. So that if any of us would trust in Jesus, would turn from our direction, we could be restored to a right relationship with God. If we would repent. 
which just means turning from the direction you were headed and turning and facing and following him. And so how can we do that? This is a free gift that God is extending to every single one of us through his great mercy, through his great love for us. Just as simple as like ABC, admitting to God, turning to him, admitting to him that you're broken, that you're needing a savior, that you sinned against him, that you believe that Jesus died on the cross for you to pay for your sin. And so that you confess, you want him to become the Lord over your life. And when you do that, like the promise in Ephesians, he makes us alive. He gives us a new heart. He gives us his spirit who redeems us, restores us into the right relationship with him. If you're in here and you're thinking, I, I don't know where I'm at with, with God. My, my, my plea to you would just be that you would come to a point of trusting in him. That you wouldn't wait. You would turn and give your life over to him. But then the rest of us that we know Jesus, let me encourage us. Ezekiel 36, 37, again, it's not about us. But we draw the same hope that Israel is going to have in the person of Jesus, we get hope in. And we are walking around a bunch of people that are corpses waiting life. And we have hope. Same kind of way that Ezekiel was told to go preach to the bones, we're commanded to go preach to the bones. To tell them about the hope that we have. So we're going to close in a song, and it's a little different of a song. It's got some high energy, and then, uh, it, but it, some of the words in the song kind of go back into Ezekiel 37, talking about the bones and the rattling sound. And I would just want to encourage you, just use this time as a time of almost prayer, praying that God would use you and use me, and use our church to spring life into our world. And we could bring hope that Jesus gives us and to the people that we interact with every single day. If you guys would, stand with me and let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for this day and we thank you that we do get to have hope in you, Lord. God, we thank you that you are restoring Israel like you said you would. I thank you that they are a nation once again. And God, we pray that you would restore them fully back into the land. And that, you, Lord, we know that you're promising that you're going to also awaken the nation of Israel spiritually. And God, we look forward to that. And God, I pray that we, your church, your people, we would speak and life into people by telling them about the hope that we have in you, Lord. God, I pray that we would be used by you in a mighty way. Thank you for your son. Thank you for your love. 
And God, I pray again that you would use our church to do amazing things in this world. Speak your truth. Lord, we love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.